Our Father, we do come before you and give you praise and honor and glory, recognizing that you are the God of the universe. You have created all that there is. All of creation belongs to you, and Lord, you are sovereign over it. And thank you for the book of Daniel, which so clearly expresses your sovereignty and your um, not intervention, but Lord, really your orchestration of the world and the events that happen and the powers and the kingdoms that exist. Lord, they all exist because you have given them to exist. And so we acknowledge that along with Daniel. Thank you for this um, truth that Daniel has interpreted that we can see has played out in history, yet there's more to come. Lord, we're so privileged to stand on this side of what Daniel interpreted and to understand it, to be able to um, use it to apply to our thinking and the way that we think about the world and all that you are doing in it. So Lord, uh, we give you praise and thanksgiving for the church and our time together, our ability to come together and to worship you. Lord, all of this to your praise and glory and honor. Amen. So this is week number eight in our study in the book of Daniel. And last time we looked at the dream and its interpretation that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. And I believe God gave this dream to Nebuchadnezzar so that he could give it to Daniel so that Daniel could interpret it. And then what we'll see this morning in scripture could happen that Daniel and his companions would be elevated and promoted in the king kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And you remember the dream is about a statue, um, a, a large statue, the scripture says, full of splendor, um, exceedingly glorious. <clears throat> and so this um, statue is awesome in the way that it looks and we saw that it was made of several different materials. It had a, a head of gold, and then a chest and arms of silver, a belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and then feet made of iron and clay. And then there was also in the dream, a stone cut without hands, meaning one that man did not make, um, that came and pulverized all the materials of the statue, pulverized them to such a degree that the winds came and blew it away like chaff on the threshing floor, such that there was nothing left, the scripture says. And so Daniel then, um, after speaking the dream, just a few short verses, gives Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation. And he says that this statue represents kingdoms that will come on the earth <clears throat> and that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar himself. It's the kingdom of Babylon. And so and then he moved on down through the other materials and looking at history, we know who those people were. Matter of fact, Daniel will later reveal who the next kingdom was, which was the Persians. And so the Persians are represented by the chest and the arms of silver. And then again, looking at history, we know that the Persians were defeated 
by the Greeks. Alexander the Greek came and demolished the Persian kingdom as he pushed um, all the way through the Middle East towards the further east. And shortly after that, of course, he died and his kingdom was divided. But nevertheless, uh, the Greeks ruled the world after the Persians, and they're represented by the belly and the thighs of bronze. And then, of course, the Greeks were ultimately defeated by the Romans. And so the Romans, beginning to come to power in the 300s uh, BC, came to absolute power in the 200s and 100 um, BC. And they are represented by the legs of iron. And then we <clears throat> talked about um, these feet of clay and iron that don't adhere together. One's a metal, one's not. And so it talks about a divided kingdom. And there's a couple of ways to think about this. We know that in the 300s AD, that Constantine, the emperor of the Roman uh, Empire, moved the capital from Rome to Constantinople, his namesake city that <clears throat> today is known as Istanbul, in Turkey. And so there the Roman kingdom was really divided into a western kingdom uh, out of Rome and an eastern kingdom out of Constantinople. And then the demise of the western Roman Empire where they uh, were constantly in Rome being raided by barbarians and other tribes um, ultimately, in the 300s, 346 or somewhere around there, uh, the city of Rome itself being burnt, no, it's in the 400s, being burned to the ground. And that's the end of the Western Roman Empire. And we talked about that some historians, I don't know if all do, but some look at these uh, nomadic and barbarian tribes that invaded uh, into Rome and we know that some of them originated from what is today known as Germany. Some came out of Spain. Some came out of France. Some came out of England. Some came out of Switzerland. I mean, that's well known, well documented, that that's where these tribes came from. And of course, those became countries which were not united, aren't united today. I mean, they're all in the European kingdom, but they also have their own agendas. And so talking about not adhering together that Western Kingdom was split into at least 10, and today many more than that, countries and people who get along to some degree, but certainly if you're from France, you don't call yourself an Englishman. Or if you're from Germany, you don't say you're a Spaniard. So, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of years, really centuries, some millennia of history for them as a people. And so um, today we've got the European Union that's 22 countries, I think, that people say represent what Daniel's talking about here. I don't think so much, um, but we'll talk about that later when we get into uh, the later chapters of Daniel where I think he expressly talks about it in more detail. But here at least we're given that you have these four kingdoms, the um, Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. And since the Roman demise, I mean, the Eastern Kingdom 
of the Roman Empire became known as the Byzantine Empire. And it lasted for another thousand years after Constantine. It went all the way into the 1400s. And then, um, but it didn't possess the whole world like Rome had. Um, it, it didn't dominate the world. You still had all these countries developing in Europe. Um, you still had people groups down in Babylon and those areas that the Byzantine Empire did not control completely. Um, certainly the Far East, it didn't control. And so uh, the Byzantine Empire lasted a long time after them. Um, the Ottomans overthrew Constantinople changed its name to Istanbul, instituted Islam as the national um, religion, and took over that whole empire all the way down into what we today call the Middle East. And the Ottoman Empire lasted until World War I. So it lasted for 600 years or so um, until World War I ended. And at the agreements after World War I in 1922, all those countries that we know today of Iraq and Iran and Saudi Arabia and, and Kuwait and all of those became countries. They did not exist until after World War I and the pacts of agreement uh, created all these countries. And of course in 1947, uh, Israel was declared a state after World War II was ended. And as a result of World War II, Israel uh, became a state and so did some of the other countries in northern uh, Africa today. And so this history, this what we see today, is only 100 years old or so. Uh, it's not like these countries that we see so much in the news today have existed for a long time. They haven't. They've only existed for less than the United States has existed. So um, we need to be informed and have that in our mind as we look at this what Daniel's talking about, no one after the Roman Empire has dominated the world in the way that the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans did during their heyday of their empires. Nobody has controlled the world, and that's why there's nobody else listed here. And I don't think until the kingdom of God is established, will there be another world power that controls everything? We certainly see the Antichrist come on the scene in the last three and a half years of the tribulation, but the Antichrist is against everybody. I mean, he's the one who destroys Babylon, ultimately, and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem, um, So, or between the mountain and the sea, so the scripture says, which we would take as Jerusalem. But, um, but he's against everybody. He's not like he's a world-dominating power. He certainly is given some powers by some kings, but he fights everybody. And we'll see that when we get over into the later chapters. And we, you really see that in, in colors in Revelation, that there's worldwide war and he's against everybody, anybody who would try and rise up against him. So no world power will dominate the world as did these four kingdoms, I believe. And I think history has shown that now for, um, I guess you would think the Romans um, in the four and five hundreds would have demised in their influence. Certainly the Byzantine Empire was there and spread its mythology and its uh, uh, 
um, religion of Christianity and all of that to other countries, but not dominating them like we see in the day of Jesus Christ, where they have military rule. So this is a statue that Daniel sees, and the only one left standing at the end of the vision that Nebuchadnezzar has is the stone cut without hands. And Daniel expressly says that's the kingdom of the God of heaven that is an eternal kingdom and there will be no kingdoms after it. Meaning it's the last one and it lasts forever. And so Daniel has interpreted this dream. He's given the dream and then interpreted it and Nebuchadnezzar hasn't said a word. He's just sat there in awe as Daniel first told him what he dreamed, and he only Nebuchadnezzar knew that was accurate, right? And, and then told him what it meant. And lets it go to his head that he's the head of gold. Because in the next chapter is where he builds that huge image of gold, probably influenced by D Daniel's interpretation of the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar understands clearly what Daniel has spoken, even what he spoke before he gave the interpretation. So we'll see that today as we focus in on verses 46 through 49, the last four verses of chapter two of Daniel. Daniel finished his interpretation and all that he was saying, and he had gone on for some 20 verses or so, speaking this probably not just in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. I would think that all the wise men were there, um, all the dignitaries would have been there as Daniel gave this dream. And so at the end of it all, Daniel says, this is what you dreamed, this is the interpretation, it is true and it's trustworthy. And you would have men today saying it wasn't true and it's not trustworthy. And so those guys we ignore because this was a dream and interpretation given to Daniel by God and that's why Daniel knows it's true and it will happen exactly as he has spoken it would happen. And we can look at history and know that it did indeed happen just as Daniel prophesied it was. So if you agree with the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and Babylon being those four kingdoms, but you don't agree on the stone cut without hands, that makes no sense to me. But that's where many interpreters are today. They, um, they don't believe in this final kingdom. Um, so I, I don't understand that. I don't know why they think that way, but it's not the way that we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna take the uh, dream and interpretation to be true and trustworthy just as Daniel said it was. So beginning in verse 46 this morning um, and going through verse 49, the end of the chapter, there the scripture reads, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon 
and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was in the king's court. So here we have Dan, um, Nebuchadnezzar's response to what Daniel had interpreted for him. And it's very clear that King Nebuchadnezzar had listened to everything Daniel said very clearly and very um, understandingly because he says some things here that are a little overwhelming if you think about it. I mean, here you have the king of the greatest kingdom on earth and in the interpretation, the greatest kingdom that ever existed because the others are not as exceedingly great as the head of gold and yet he falls on his face before Daniel. Can you imagine all the wise men and, and what they're looking at? The king who could have them all killed simply by saying, let's kill all the wise men, and they all fled from him, is now falling on his face before Daniel. I mean, that's what it says, right? Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. So he's on his hands and knees before Daniel. They, they've got to be going, what is this? I mean, this is the ruler of the world on his hands and knees before this young Jewish guy. I mean, Daniel may be, may be in his early 20s. He could be younger than that. And here is the king of the world falling on his face before him. They, they've got to be just going, this is crazy. Now, not only was it unexpected, can you imagine if you're one of those wise men, then later going to speak a word against Daniel? No chance. No chance. Here's the king doing homage to this guy, and you're going to say something to him? The king's going to have you put out if you're going to do that. So here's Daniel recognized in front of the whole Babylonian kingdom as the guy because the king is even giving him an homage. And then Nebuchadnezzar, true to his word, gives him gifts and incense. Now, the incense I don't quite understand. Maybe you, if you burn incense in someone's presence, it signifies something. Um, it's lost on me. I know that in the temple of God there was incense that was burnt continually before him to honor him so maybe it's some type of honor or signification i'm not exactly sure but anyway daniel is given all these gifts by king nebuchadnezzar so at this point daniel becomes exceedingly rich and <clears throat> because if nebuchadnezzar is going to give you gifts he's going to give you gifts it's not going to be just a little bit and so, especially if he's going to fall on his face before you. So here, Daniel becomes a rich man. And he stays that way all through the Babylonian kingdom, into the Persian kingdom. He's still a rich guy. I mean, at the end of the Babylonian kingdom, they put on him a purple robe and rings on his fingers because he's able to read the writing on the wall. 
which nobody else could read. So they continue later to give him honor. And the Persians recognize that when they come in and they give him honor. And so uh, Daniel, well off at this point, very rich, um, certainly recognized by the whole kingdom. And then Nebuchadnezzar here in the next couple of verses says some things that are very significant that there is no doubt that he understood what Daniel had told him. You notice that he says, well, look back in verse 27 and 28, that, well, let me, let me say a couple of things before that. You see in, um, in verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, now this is the king, the idolatrous king, speaking to Daniel, and he says, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now, Nebuchadnezzar parrots back to Daniel what Daniel had told him. And notice he says that he is a God of gods. Nebuchadnezzar did not give up his idolatry at this point. He simply recognized that there is a God I didn't know about who is more um, able to reveal mysteries than any other of the gods that we worship. So he's the God of gods. So Nebuchadnezzar at this point is still full of idolatry. But he does recognize that the God of Daniel is significant and special. He even says he's a Lord of Kings. Now, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar included himself in that, but he certainly included all those kings he had defeated in that. So we don't know exactly what's in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, but it's different than it would have been before Daniel had begun speaking. That he recognizes what Daniel has said. And notice he he recognizes that the revelation of the mystery came from this God, not from Daniel. So he listened to what Daniel had told him because as we now look back earlier, you'll see that Daniel had told him these things back in verse 27 and 28. Look at what it says there. Daniel answered before the king, and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Now, the last time someone told the king that, he became enraged and ordered them all to be killed and their house to, houses to be made rubbish. But Daniel says the exact same thing that they said. But the king continues to listen because Daniel continues in verse 28. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was in your dream and in your visions in your mind while on your bed. So Daniel knows and recognizes that this isn't his dream. This isn't his interpretation. This is something God gave to King Nebuchadnezzar 
and Daniel is simply the interpreter for the king. And so Daniel tells the king this, and the king understands it because in his response, he says that the God of gods has revealed this mystery, not that Daniel has. So he was listening when Daniel said this, and he got it, and he got it right. And so he begins to move a little bit. Later we'll see him move more as Daniel is faithful to tell him what had actually happened. And you know that Daniel, uh, in verse 29, tells him again a second time, as for you, O king, while you were on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. So not Daniel, but he who reveals mysteries which would be the God of gods that Nebuchadnezzar recognizes. So Nebuchadnezzar recognizes this is not from Daniel. And, you know, and Daniel goes on in verse 30 to say, but as for me, this mystery, <laughs> look what he says, has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me. There, this is not mine. This is not about me. It's not because I'm clever. It's not because I figured it out. None of that. He, he knew that the only reason he could stand before Nebuchadnezzar and say this is true and trustworthy is because God had given it to him. And you remember before this, Daniel had thanked God in his prayer for doing just exactly what he and his three friends had asked God to do. Daniel, there in humility, including his friends, in not only asking, but God had revealed to us this mystery, including his friends. Daniel always, always, and everywhere we see him, humble in the way he thinks about himself. Even later in chapter 9, where God sends an angel literally into Daniel's presence for the rest of the book, at Daniel's request, he still remains humble. And so uh, it's a little astonishing that this young man who God had favored and blessed and Nebuchadnezzar recognized it remains uh, the most humble guy that we see in the book. Um, he never, never takes any credit for himself. Now, You'll notice that there's a, a couple of things that Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that came straight out of Daniel's prayer to God. And I, I think this is significant, so I want to look at it for just a second. Look at verse 21. This is Daniel's prayer to God in thanksgiving for God giving him this interpretation. So in 21, Daniel, speaking of God, said, It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. So this is Daniel recognizing who God is and praising God. Then notice in verse, a couple of verses here, in verse 37 and 38, 
as he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar now. Look at what he says. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of the men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand. And look at this. And cause you to rule over them all. So Daniel saying God is the one who tears down kings and establishes kings. And then to the king, he says, your kingdom, your glory, your power has been given to you and God has caused it. Now, <laughs> that's faithfulness and trust on Daniel's part because he's standing before the guy who could have him annihilated. And he says, this kingdom that you think is so great, it was given to you by God of heaven. But, Dan but Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that and understands that and doesn't push against it at all. So this is God using a young Jewish boy who is going to be dedicated to him at all costs, testifying to Nebuchadnezzar and the whole world in front of him that this kingdom exists because God caused it to exist. So Daniel stays true to what he knows and believes. And then notice in verse 22 of his prayer that he says, it is he, speaking of God, who reveals the profound in the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. And then before Nebuchadnezzar, over in verse 28 and 29, notice what Daniel says. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So Daniel testifies before Nebuchadnezzar the same thing that he prayed in praise of God. Then look at the end of verse 29, where it says, where Daniel speaking says, He who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. So here's Daniel testifying in front of the king of the greatest empire on the planet, saying the same thing that he had prayed and praised to God. Now, only God could orchestrate such an audience where his most faithful servant at that time is now broadcasting to all these heathen, idolatrous people the truth of who God is. Only God could create that stage. And he's done it so that Daniel could say these things and reveal. There's no way that Nebuchadnezzar could say, I just didn't know. When Daniel had spoken this truth to him and revealed the God of gods to him. And Nebuchadnezzar at least recognizes the God of gods. And that he doesn't say that he's given me my power and my glory and all of that, so he doesn't go that far. But he recognizes he gave me this mystery and in the, in the interpretation of it. He clearly recognizes that. So he doesn't take it all, but he takes part of it. But Daniel has spoken it all. I mean, how many of you would stand before the President of the United States and speak to him the praises 
that you had spoken to God in only God's presence? Probably not. Probably not. Probably would not be that bold. But Daniel is, because God's given him this opportunity. And, and he recognizes, he's so humble, he recognizes this isn't about me. This dream wasn't even given to me. It was given to Nebuchadnezzar because God wanted him to know. He says that God has revealed to you what will happen in the latter days. That's Daniel's words to Nebuchadnezzar. It's astonishing that Daniel maintains this perspective when God has so elevated him. Now look at what, <laughs> this goes on, and because Daniel is so trusting in God, Nebuchadnezzar then, as God's instrument, pours blessings into Daniel's life, I believe. Because look at what it says. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous when you think about it. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of, of Babylon. It says really prefect of prefects, meaning he's the guy. He's going to be over all of these other wise men. And not only that, He's going to be over the province of Babylon. This is the capital province of the Babylonian kingdom. And this young Jewish guy is elevated to be the ruler over the whole province. The only guy above him is Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is the number two guy in the kingdom of Babylon. Absurd. Ridiculous to think about that. Later, when the Persians come in and Cyrus, king of the Persian kingdom, appoints Darius to be over the Babylonian province. That's Daniel's job here. He's equivalent to King Darius later in the book. That's the job that he's got. He's in the king's court and he rules over the province of Babylon. That is an absurd thought. Here's this guy who three, three and a half years ago was in Jerusalem that has been drugged to Babylon, trained in the Chaldean language and arts, and now promoted to be the number two guy in all the Babylonian kingdom. How's that for three and a half years? I mean, that is crazy to think of what Nebuchadnezzar has done here. And this is why I believe later when Nebuchadnezzar goes insane for seven periods of time, that Daniel's the guy who runs the kingdom. Because Daniel's the one who interprets the dream and says, you may think Nebuchadnezzar's gone, but in seven years, he's coming back. And he does. And during that time, Daniel administers the kingdom of Babylon. And who's going to oppose him after this? Nobody. Nobody. He's, he's ruler of the province of Babylon. I mean, it's a crazy thing to think. And then Daniel, as he always does, not thinking about himself, not letting it go to his head, remembers his faithful friends. Because he wouldn't have had this, he believes, he would not have this interpretation if those three friends had not joined him in asking God to give it to him. 
That's his perspective. And God didn't give it to me. He gave it to us. And so he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, do me a favor, one more favor. And it, the scripture says, and Daniel made request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. So here's Daniel, the ruler of the province of Babylon, now having his three trusted friends as the administrators of everything that happens in Babylon. Guys he could trust, guys he didn't have to wonder about. And so these four young Jewish men now are the top four guys other than Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon. They rule the king's chief province. They rule Babylon. It's just insane to think about. And, and we, we miss it when we just read, oh, he made him ruler and then his three friends were in administration. No, these guys had the power of more than anybody else other than Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom. They could have anything done they wanted to. And so these guys are not only elevated, they're wealthy, they're rich, they're privileged, they're in a prominent position. So now when you come to chapter three, and these three guys are thrown into the fiery furnace, you realize the impact on the kingdom of Babylon and what Nebuchadnezzar's doing. These are the guys who rule the province. So they're not just three guys who, who you know, refuse to honor the image and remain standing. No, these are the rulers of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar put in place. These are the guys underneath Daniel who administer his kingdom. So it becomes more significant as we get to the next chapter. So God has done only what only God can do in two chapters. He has so elevated Daniel and promoted his friends that it's just a ridiculous to think about. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, he has his chief bodyguard, Arioch, right? Who protects the king, now is subservient to Daniel. that Daniel's over him because he rules the king's province. That's, it's just ridiculous to think. The guy who's going to kill Daniel is now Daniel's his boss. It, it, only God could orchestrate and do such a thing. And that's the point of the book of Daniel is that God is not just sitting back letting history unfold. He is directly intervening in orchestrating, establishing kings, removing kings, orchestrating all the countries and the nations that we see today, all leading toward where God wants it to go. He hasn't, I mean, he's the same God. He hasn't changed since he was speaking to Daniel some 2,600 years ago, 2,700 years ago. And Daniel wrote it down, and it is true and trustworthy. So really astonishing what God has done here. And uh, next week we'll move into chapter three, which is the uh, chapter about the fiery furnace. I mean, before that it's about the golden image um, that Nebuchadnezzar builds as this interpretation of Daniel goes to his head and gives him the big head. And, um, and yet again, 
God is faithful to the three friends of Daniel. And the things that they say to the king as he's getting ready to throw them into the fire are astonishing of their trust in God. So we see these men being of the same character that Daniel is in their trust of God. That'll be revealed in chapter 3, and if the Lord wills, we'll go there next week. Thanks for your time.